This is episode number 176 of the Rising Man Podcast with Gerald Limongelli. You are in love with your shame. Just admit it. What's up, Rising Man family? Thanks for joining me here today. I am Jetty Azuma here, checking in behind the mic again for another episode of the Rising Man podcast. Before we jump in, make sure you go to risingman.org. There's still time to get involved with our June 25th through 27th three-day wilderness immersion called Elements. The first one was dope. The second one's going to be even doper. Come join us out there for three days, get your wild on, and connect with an amazing group of men. Also, we may still have some seats left for this fall compass at the time of this recording, but if we don't, then we are launching three, yes, three compass crews next year. So if you've been waiting to get out there and get your four-day fast in to mark that milestone, whatever that is in your life, apply for compass and get yourself registered for the next crew. All right. Without further ado, our guest for today is Gerald Limongelli. Gerald was a former NCAA D1 wrestler, Appalachian Trail through hiker, three-time Ironman, meditation master, and spiritual gangsta. Gerald spent over a decade working in the nightlife and entertainment industry with some of the largest venues and most influential CEOs. After a successful run in entertainment, he decided to hang up his party boots and test his business skills. After developing relationships with brands such as Uber, Walmart, Netflix, Apple, Spotify, and Nike, he quickly became a digital maven in the ad tech space. Soon after, Gerald decided to give it all up, spending over six months traveling the world. He studied yoga in Bali, Vipassana meditation in India, and plant medicines of the Amazon with sacred Shipibo shamans. That's a tongue twister. Upon entering back into life in the States, he knew it was time to share his in-depth knowledge of life and his self-mastery journey. In this episode, Gerald and I jammed on what this self-love thing is really all about. We talked about the voice of love and compassion for self and why it's essential for every man to discover this. Gerald talked about men's addiction to shame, why men love shame and can't get enough of it. We discussed learning commitment, accountability, and other valuable life skills that they don't just happen without putting in the work. We talked about instant rewards culture, why men fail to invest in themselves and follow through. We talked about not being in a rush to find your purpose, where most men go wrong when it comes to the pursuit of meaning. And lastly, beast mentality, beast mode. What does that really mean? And what are the potential implications of grinding and hustling? Without further ado, Gerald Limongelli. All right, Rising Man fam, got another man joining me here for another potent conversation, Mr. Gerald Limongelli coming in live from Austin, Texas. What's up, bro? How are you doing today? Doing great, man. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And don't let the accent confuse you. He's originally <laughs> by way of Queens, New York, coming in here, my East Coast bro. <laughs> let's do this real quickly. What made you land on Austin, Texas of all places? I never would have imagined landing in Austin coming from the East Coast, New York City area. Yeah, for sure. I actually was living in Topanga, California. I started dating my girlfriend now, Amber. She had a circle of friends like uh, Preston, Alexi, and Jenna Phillips Ballard. All these people were like, hey, we're getting out of California. And she said, you want to take a trip with me? And I'm like, okay. And we came out here and I was like, it was the dead of summer. And I was like, uh. I don't know about this place. It's like a hundred degrees, sticky. 
I don't know. We came out a second time and we looked at a different area and she was like, you want to move here? And I was like, you know what? I've been in LA for so long. I was like, never thought I'd be a cowboy, but let's see what happens. So <laughs> put on them boots, came on out here and it's been a great decision because there's just such an abundance of awesome people that are in the work that we're doing. And it was actually a great idea. So I got to tip my hat to her. Yeah. Okay, cool, man. So New York to LA, landed in Texas. Oh, don't leave out San Francisco and Las Vegas. <laughs> oh, damn. Okay. So there's a lot more to the story. Before we start jumping in and getting to know you a little bit more, man, let me ask you this question. What does it mean to be a man? That is a good question right off the bat. <sighs> what does it mean to be a man? So a man is someone who's willing to be vulnerable, who's integrous with his word, and is willing to be humble in his leadership. I think the definition of manhood has been really smeared with what we see in TV. Like, you know, you get go crush it, Gary V mentality. You get the Wolf of Wall Street, you know, kill what you eat and crush it. And I'll step over you to win. And then you have GI Joe and all the war movies. And it's always about how tough you are. And what I learned is, you know, that serves you in a certain aspect of life. If you're training for an Ironman or you're running a hundred miles, then that toughness in you will serve yourself. It'd be very potent, but manhood really requires you to show up authentically, right? So what kind of father are you going to be? Are you going to be able to be open and vulnerable to your kids so you can teach them to be unconditional with love? Are you going to be a leader of your community and give, give, give without ever wanting anything in return? So you create trust. So there's many facets of the masculine, right? And we get to play them all. And I always like to say, I'd rather live 75% of my life in beta and only leave that 25% to alpha to assert when needed. Mm -hmm. There's a lot packed in there in what you said, and I resonate with a lot of it deeply. I think that there's this natural inclination to talk about what manhood and masculinity is not because part of the work that we're doing right now is removing. We're taking out the parts of the masculine manhood story that no longer fit. Like you said, like that Wolf of Wall Street, that you know, kill or be killed, that mentality that if taken too far or taken out of context doesn't really serve, especially the type of men that I want my children to be around when they get older. And so Talking a little bit more about what manhood really is, I heard you say things like service, you know, giving, 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 giving of yourself and not expecting or asking for anything in return. Where did you learn that? Where did that lesson drop in for you? That's the key for me. That's the special sauce. I always say you could break it down to mind, body, spirit, and service. I learned service when I started traveling the world in 2019 and I started really scratching the surface of that, but I got to give credit. I took a, a leadership training called ALA, Ascension Leadership Academy. It's run by Brad Ballard and Jenna Phillips Ballard. And it's all about emotional intelligence, but really the key of that is leadership. And what I learned in there was there's a way that you show up, right? And how you're received by others. And usually that person isn't really who you are. When you strip away those walls, the character that you've created behind there is your true being. And when I let that person come out into the world, my storyline changed. I said, instead of making money, how can I create impact? How many men can I serve to let them feel the way I feel on a daily basis, right? And then everything started really happening. And I started thinking like, 
what can I inject into this world that's me, but I don't need anything in return. Just maybe seeing that person at Whole Foods who's frantic and cuts in front of you instead of getting pissed like I would that New Yorker in me, as well as like, yo, bro, <laughs> I was here first, man. You better get behind me. Now I look at them and say, hey, man, I, I noticed you're busy. You having a hard day? Yeah, I'm crazy. Yeah, I've been there. You know what? Go in front of me. Slow down a little bit. Just remember life's beautiful. Like it's the little things. And I say, the more you serve, the more you give, 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 you realize you can give a million, but you're 10 million in return because you're so abundant. You're not going to be in this scarcity mindset where people are afraid to give. I want to give so much because I know the more I give, the more interaction, the more men I come in contact with, the more souls I unlock. Now I'm living. Now I'm driven by purpose and passion. Yeah. For me, that's a really big pivot point. I remember when I first started examining this question for myself, and that's where it really came from. I was trying to figure out what being a man was for myself. And I recognized over time that there are a couple of pivotal moments in that journey, at least the way I experienced it, when I really felt like I can't even afford to make my life about me anymore. There's that ego that never goes away that tempts me into that and tries to seduce me into that way of being. But getting married to my wife and becoming the lead provider in our relationship for more than just myself. That was a huge step deeper into that. It's really not about me anymore. I got to figure out how to take care of her. And then when my first child was born, (laughs) that was cellularly, I could feel the difference. The moment I laid eyes on my son for the first time, I felt like, wow, it's really not about me anymore. He needs me. He needs me not to be thinking about myself all the time. And so there's some critical moments. And I think those are some of them. I'm sure everyone can experience them differently. But when we recognize that, you know what? I'm good. I'm actually, I'm taking care of myself. I know I've learned how to take care of myself now. Who else can I serve? But I think so many of us fail to actually reach that point of, I know how to take care of myself. I'm not just talking about having enough money in your bank account to pay your bills. I'm talking about being able to identify what you need, how to take care of yourself emotionally, how not to become a ticking time bomb of anger and rage and frustration and confusion. Like all those elements you said in the beginning about the way you see a man, a guy who can be vulnerable. All those speak to me about it, someone who knows how to take care of themselves. And I think that's a prerequisite for being able to take care of others. I mean, you nailed it right there. It's, uh, you know, I also think there comes a point where, you know, if we're speaking about men, you have to have that real moment with yourself where you get the data. So I'm 41, right? This started happening heavily when I was 40. I looked back and I said, how did you live 40 years? If you were in that coffin and everyone, who would be around you? How much would people say you impacted their lives? And it wasn't from an ego thing. It wasn't like, I want to be seen as a leader. I wanted to know what I do with my time. And I realized something and it broke me. I said, yo, Jerry, in the mirror, if you look at yourself, I looked right at my eyes and said, Jerry, you're a taker. You take, you don't give. And I was like, damn, that's cold. When yourself tells yourself who you're showing up as, not who you are. And that's like the key nugget. Men love shame. I'm a taker. Now I hate myself. No, it's I'm a taker because I'm showing up as one. But who I am as a giver, I'm going to tap into giving. So I started really thinking about what can I do from this point? What does 40 to 80 look like? If you're a sports guy, I love analogies, right? So I say, you're in the locker room with Jordan. Right. And he's like, we're down. Are we winning that six ring or are we going home? I'm winning the six ring. I'm activating alpha, but I'm activating it in service. 
I really resonate that, man. It's a very potent conversation, very personal conversation for me right now. It's something I've been reflecting on uh, for folks who are listening. My family and I recently just went through COVID. I mentioned that to you before we started recording. It was really challenging, more so just on the mental side of things, believe it or not. You know, the physical stuff, I've been sick before, but mentally having the kids home, both my wife and I being sick, not being able to work and, you know, putting my stuff down for two weeks and just not knowing what was going to happen and just going through the, basically squaring off with all of my stuff and having nowhere to go. <laughs> it's like, a, it was a perfect <laughs> storm of things. And leading up to us getting COVID in our household, I was also starting to examine myself. Cause I think anybody who's committed to growth, you go through cycles of self-examination. It becomes a, I wouldn't say that I'm constantly reflecting on who I am and how I show up in the world, but I'm regularly doing so, especially at specific intervals. And this was a particularly deep dive into my, how am I generous? Obviously, people who listen to the podcast, people who spend time around me have been in spaces with me. They see how I show up. And I know there's a lot of people that would say, dude, you're super generous with your time, with your energy, the impact that you're creating. But my personal story about my generosity was I'm a taker, man there's a part of my brain that was oriented around taking that's still looking to get what I need so that I can get by at least to a degree that I'm not satisfied with. What I really came away with is because I know I can also be really hard on myself. I'm not generous to the standard that I want to be. I want to be more generous. I want to give more of myself. I'm grateful I had people around me to remind me that I wasn't just some big asshole because, <laughs> because there was, <laughs> there was definitely some dialogue in there that was saying like, dude, you are not who you say you are. You are not this generous dude. Look at all of this evidence of where you're taking and just taking for yourself and thinking about yourself. So it's good to face off with that, but also to acknowledge like, yeah, I'm generous, just not to the standard that I want to be. I love what you said there. That that's something that I get to choose from this point forward. How do I want to give even more of myself? What do I need to practice? How can I learn more about that level of giving, of generosity? Because I've never done that in my life before. I came into this world taking everything that I needed. All of us did. As babies, as toddlers, that's what we do. So if we never consciously flip the script or implement ways to grow out of just a taking mindset, then we never will. We'll just keep doing it in more and more subtle ways. Yeah. You said something that was super awesome because I related to it. You said, I'm so hard on myself. That's the story of my life. You know, I grew up in a household. I didn't have a dad. Then I got a stepdad. My stepdad never looked at me for like a couple of years. I was a very, I was in the feminine. I was raised by my mom, my sister, my grandmother, my grandfather's like an angel. He's just a, encompasses everything I'd ever want to be in a man. Right. But he was a soft man. You know, you could hear the way he talked, right? And my stepdad, once I found wrestling and he found out that I was good at it and I became world-class at it, he loved me. So the way he spoke to me was like, winners get love, losers get their room. So it was really harsh. So I adapted that voice. I call it the powerful parent. And I, up until recently, I saw it play out in everything I do. You got to get up early. You're slacking. Why aren't you up at 4.30? You got to work harder. You want it in this world. And that's me talking to me. And what I just learned, literally just learned this, and it's been life-changing because you brought up right your kids. As I said, if my little kid was sitting on my lap and he came back and he got a bad grade at school, how would you talk to him? Would you get in his face and say, you better study more, you bum. Let's go. You were, or would you say, hey, I love you. You're not stupid. And we're going to do everything we can 
to get your brain working so we can, you know, figure out how you learn. And I love you and I'm proud of you, right? That's how I started talking to me. When I don't get success, I say, you know what, Jerry? I'm proud of you for showing up every day, putting content out. Who cares if you had five likes or a thousand? I'm proud of you for showing up, putting yourself out there. I see you. I love you. That's really good, man, because there was something else you said a couple of exchanges back about how men love shame and why we take on that shame. And that powerful parenting voice that you just described is I've heard almost every guy I've ever met has some version of that voice that is really useful in certain applications. Right. I think you also said yes. like that voice is really useful when you're training for an Ironman or you're training, yes. you're trying to break through that conditioned part of our brain that wants to quit. So that voice can be really useful and also really effective, but that doesn't need to be the dominant voice and it doesn't need no. to be the only voice. More importantly, it doesn't need to be the only voice that we have. But I think a lot of us get addicted to that because it does produce results, right? The fear of not getting love from somebody, the fear of not belonging, the fear of not getting approved of is really motivating because that's like a foundational need. So it produces results, right? If, if you tell a right. kid that, hey, if you win, I'm going to love you. If you lose, I ain't going to talk to you until you win again. The kid is going to be really motivated to win. And right. so I think that there's some connection there between that addiction to shame because shame is an instrument of motivation as well. Right? For to sure. motivate us to do better, to do differently next time. And so I think that's why we get so seduced into it, but it's actually, I like to think of shame as a purgatory, right? It's just a oh, place that deep. we go where we stew in our shame and just sit there. It's a pit stop on the way to a solution, mm. but you can sit there as long as you want to. It can get comfortable if you get used to it, you know? It's like shame and victim or like best friends from uh, oh, kindergarten yeah. all through life. They're high-fiving each other. <laughs> oh man, high-fiving each other in the yeah. corner with like the rain cloud just over their heads. It's like, you know. Shame and victim. They love that. Men love to go into shame and they love to play the victim. So you've been working with men for a bit now. What is it that you see? What patterns do you see about why men get sucked and drawn into that shame spiral so much? I feel strongly that they haven't yet learned the tools to change the narrative of what they're experiencing. Like if you, you know, if you did yoga, right, you're moving the energy, right? Blocked energy. But men that haven't really dove into deeper work, self-reflection work, what I call just really getting clear on how you're showing up in this world and facing off with that, really just you and that voice, they find it easier to blame, right? Like I didn't get this job because my boss doesn't like me. And that comes back to the leadership thing. You didn't get that job because maybe you didn't show up as worthy. So the energy you put out is from someone who's not in their king. You're playing the joker. And if you're going to lead an office, you're going to lead someone, your leadership is an embodiment. It's not how well you talk it, right? And men, they go into the shame because in order for you to be in your true masculine, ownership, that's what separates you. If you fail, touche, I lost today, okay, what had me fail? Own that and move on. The stories are relevant. Like when men get on my calls and they're late, I say, what had you be late? That's the other thing. I don't use why anymore. Why is like a trigger festival. Why are you late? Why are you coming at me? Like, it's like they get all sensitive. What had you be late? What was more important than your own personal growth that you paid for? Oh, my dog was biting my cat and it, I don't care about that. I want to know what had me be late as I broke my commitment to this group. Thank you. 
What are you committed to right now? I'm committed to never being late again and being five minutes early. Great. Let's move on. We love the story, the saga. She broke my heart. (laughs) It's like always something, right? It's never just, this is what happened. I'm owning my part, standing in my integrity. I'm honoring it. I'm learning. And now the next time I'll be better. We love the shame and the victim. It's like they have a party every day. <laughs> I love that, man. I love that shift. That's a really good one, man. I'm going to I'm gonna borrow that because Take it. that's <laughs> this, the triggers that we have that trigger that boy in us that doesn't know how to deal with ownership. There's certain things that I, I've come to find in, I've been sitting on in a men's circle since I was 21 years old. I really didn't sit in a men's circle where things were making sense to me until I was 25, but I've been in that space for a while and there's some things that I've seen over the years. And what I've come to appreciate is that there's certain things that I think culturally, maybe on a societal level, there's an expectation that we just should know how to do these things. Things like taking ownership, Mm. taking responsibility for our failures, where we fuck up, broken commitments, commitment to commit, to be able to commit and honor our word is not an innate skill. And I know that because I watch my son who he's got a very strong root of integrity. He knows when justice is happening and when it's not like his compass for that is really strong. And yet he's not capable of making a commitment and being his word. It's like expecting a kid to pop out and be Wayne Gretzky or Michael Jordan. It's like, oh yeah, they were just born that good. Nobody was born that good. Nobody was born with these, especially high level skills of trust and relationship building. Those need to be developed. And I think I've thought more about this. I think it has a lot to do with generationally. What did it look like for people making commitments when you were a kid? was the culture of commitment around you? What was the culture of shame around you, of ownership, of accountability around you? And that's where I think we all get to have a little more compassion and kindness because hopefully this next generation, I'm hoping that that's what my son gets to report when he's my age, but I can't say that I had a strong, I have a great father who I think is a very honorable man, but I can't say that I got an example of everything I needed in regards to accountability, ownership, these high level relational skills. So I'm interested in your thoughts on that piece. I think it is a learned response, right? We are the byproduct of the information we got that was passed down from our parents. Then we get the opportunity to up-level. When that happens, I don't know. It's when the curiosity kicks in, right? I'm noticing men, late thirties, curiosity kicks in. What am I doing? They've accomplished, they got money, they got cars, they got girls, they got guys, whatever they're into. And then they got that sadness. The sadness then gets the curiosity going. And if you have like, see, you're like teaching your son now skills that are so valuable. He's like getting like the Wayne Gretzky dad. Like he's learning integrity, ownership, right? Speaking your truths, powerful things, saying what you want. Don't you see that a lot in like men's work? How hard it is to say, like I have guys who can't even say to their wives, I would like a blowjob. Like you're married and you're afraid to ask your wife what your sexual desires are. Oh, forget about it. I don't want it. She doesn't want to hear that. Did you ever ask? So owning that voice, right? And if she says no, well, guess what? You got your answer. Now it's not a story. Now it's a reality. So make a choice. If all kids learn like this, like how they interact at a young age or when kids say, I'll be home at five, but they stroll in at 530, it's the parent who gets to say, this is not acceptable. 
not from anger. I'm going to whoop you how I was. If I rolled in at 530, my mom would just beat you with a wooden spoon. That's it. There wasn't a conversation like, oh, I'm curious to know what had you not be here at 530. My mom's like, you're late and I'm whooping you, period. God bless her for the tools that she had growing up, like an Italian family. That's it. And then out of fear, you learned better not be late. So when the fear's gone, where's the integrity? I'll be late. No one's going to whoop me. I'll go to school. What is a teacher going to do? Give me detention? So what? But if you had a parent like yourself that says, hey, your word means everything. When I ask you to be home at 530 and you roll in at six, you're breaking your commitments. Where else are you going to do that in life, son? I want you to be integrous, right? Oh, dad, you're the best. I love you. Thanks so much. Which is tricky, man. I mean, my son is five and a half years old. So yeah, let him slide a little bit. (laughs) Yes. I mean, that's actually been a huge learning curve for me. I've spoken about here before just checking myself on my expectations that I have on my five-year-old. You know, the expectations I had on him at three years old, when I took it out of context and looked at it over here objectively, I was like, dude, you're crazy. (laughs) You're expecting this little dude to like, damn, who are you training here, man? I think this is where the balance part comes in that is always a tricky dance. Having the ability to identify and recognize what's appropriate here. For my five-year-old, he doesn't, he literally can't comprehend consequences, I think this is where parenting gets really lazy, in my opinion. I call myself lazy sometimes, too, because I still do it. It's the quickest way is, well, what does he not want? Because then you teach him causality. You do this, then this is what happens to you. But it's not really an effective way of communicating consequences. That's something that comes in once the brain is developed a little bit more and they can comprehend. Otherwise, we're just motivating from fear, right? Well, I'm afraid that I'm going to get my butt whooped. I don't want to do that. Or I'm afraid that my parents are going to take away this, so I won't do that. There's no lesson in integrity there. There's just a lesson in, well, I don't want that. So I guess I'll do this other thing that they said I should do. It's not, well, this is what happens when you break your word. I don't trust you. I can't trust you. I can't count on you to be here. You know, you were 30 minutes late. We waited because we don't eat dinner apart from our family. Right? We don't eat without somebody being here. So all of us were hungry for 30 more minutes while we were waiting for you. But those are things that a five and a half year old can't get. So yeah. you, gotta, you gotta have a level of discernment. So to take it back to what we we're talking about, those are the lessons in accountability and consequences I didn't really learn in that way till I was 25 years old on a team with guys who were twice my age, who all had grown sons that were almost my age, you know? And I think what we're doing in this men's movement is, is catching up to those lessons that we never got so that we can then issue them to the next generation. I see like a lot of things that I find interesting is like, so men will join, invest in themselves, right? And then they'll be late to calls. They don't do the work, right? And I'm like, this is very interesting to me because like you're paying to be here, right? Because when there's no financial investment, then they'll leave whenever they want. I learned that my first container. I was like, oh, just do it. You know, you're my friend. And they'll be like, hey, you never showed up, you know? But what I find interesting is like, I'll ask them, what career are you in? Someone's like, oh, I'm in ad tech. I'm like, amazing. Elon Musk calls you and says, I'm going to give you 10 minutes Tuesday, three o'clock on a Zoom call. Would you be late? They're like, no way. I'm like, but you're late to your own show. You don't get on the calls when it's about you, but you'll get on when Elon Musk tells you, give me 10 minutes. I'm going to change your life. It's really tied to that self-worth issue because see, they put more worth in the outside of them. Like Elon will make my life better, but me betting on me, blackjack at the table. I'm going to bet on Gerald Lemon Jelly. Oh, nah, that guy, I don't know about him, but I'm going to bet on Elon because that's a win. And I think as we get older, we get to realize how much in our life have we done that? It's a really good point, man. I think that's a really, that's a really good insight that 
that's also something we get to mature and grow into is believing in ourselves enough. Yes. And, and how do you generate that belief in yourself? By going out and shooting your shot, right? Taking that's a shot right. on yourself and owning the failures, I think is one part of it, but also having the courage to put yourself out there and then win. Having exactly. those wins saying like, dude, look what I did. Look what I was able to do. I did that. I did that. Now I can trust myself. Now I can trust myself more than Elon Musk. You don't just inherently trust yourself. Like I think a lot of that's the biggest like through line I'm hearing here is things don't just happen. You said before we got on the call, guys don't want to invest in themselves. Yeah, I see the same thing because it's not like you're buying a television or a new pair of dunks. No, nope. you're you're creating an opportunity for yourself, but then you must step through the door. It's like the difference between buying something where there's some assembly required, right? Yeah. Right? It's like in, in order furniture. to get what you want. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like Ikea furniture or like a model airplane, a puzzle, right? You, you bought yourself a puzzle. Great. You want to see what that puzzle looks like? Well, log in some hours and do some work. Yeah. So this was required here in this space. And I think there is a little bit of that consumerist, just if I put down the money, I should get the result back. It doesn't work that way. Life doesn't work that way. Right. Well, we're an instant reward culture. I mean, I worked four years in ad tech. I saw clients like Bumble and Tinder. It was like, swoop, swipe right, get a new one. I don't like this one, get another one. Instant gratification, right? So why wouldn't self-development be the same way? 90 days? Oh my God, I'll just go to a weekend. Then they come back, they're healed, you know? And I see that too in, you know, when you get into the more spiritual side, which I, you know, it's one of my pillars, mind, body, spirit, service, right? And I've experimented with tons of different plant medicines and psychedelics and things. And I think they're great, but they are like the cliff notes to the Moby Dick novel. Like you're just reading segments. And most people are like, I'm just going to go do ayahuasca for the weekend. I'm going to come back and Om Shanti, I'm healed. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, good luck until someone cuts you off on the 405. Then we'll see how chill you are. Well, and I think that's part of the tragedy of plant medicines, just to make a slight digression down that road, the way, not the fact that they did, but the way by which they've made their way into greater society, modern society, the Western world, the introduction was met with, oh, here's an opportunity to capitalize. Absolutely. And as soon as that happens, there's not a reference point. There's not follow up or follow through. I mean, these medicines that have been nurtured and made relationship with over thousands of generations, they were praying with these medicines, right? This was a central part of people's way of life. So by contrast to show up for a weekend and consume to have some, this medicine enter your body and then let it influence you cellularly and spiritually, but then to have no follow through, no relationship other than that, it'd be like going to college and you just poked your head in for five minutes in a class and then stepped out and said, yo, I'm a scholar. <laughs> like, let's go do business. I'm ready. I got something. And I say that with the greatest humility, man. I mean, yeah. I've been sitting in medicine ceremonies for the past five years consistently. And I'm just, I feel like I'm a baby in there, man. I feel like I'm five years old in that way of life. Still so much to learn. Like you said, I think it's when you get the nuggets, it's what you do with them, right? Where's the action step? It's like, you know, and that translates to everything, you know, guys, do you listen to Eric Thomas at all? The hip hop preacher? I have. Yeah. I, I, I listen to people in like chunks. So like when I first heard about ET, I, I went all in on ET, but then I probably listened to the majority of his stuff. And I was like, you know, I'm done with ET. What's the next one? So I binge people when they really land on me. That's what I do. I'm like an ET guy. Like I love him, like his voice and what he does and his passion. And then, you know, like a Les Brown. I love Les Brown. 
probably got me into self-development. I heard a speech from him on impact theory and I was like, man, who's this guy? But I was listening to Eric Thomas and he said something and it really stuck with me because from my wrestling background, I get it, right? I know what that hard work, you know, the dedication, the physical, the suffering, where that plays. But he always says, everybody wants to be a beast until it's time to do what beasts do. And I noticed that a lot of men that come in, they say, I want this success. I want a relationship in my dreams. I want financial freedom. I want to be an entrepreneur. And then I ask him, well, what time do you get up in the morning? 9.30. What? 9.30? What time do you go to bed? Uh, I don't know. 12.30. I watch Netflix before I go to bed. Dude, come on, man. You got to be dedicated. And in that morning, what are your rituals? Are you praying? Are you meditating? Are you showing gratitude? Are you a thanks yet? intention setting? Are you focused on your day? Like it all takes dedication, even the mastery of yourself. So like you said, taking that time for you, it's like, come out of bed, grab the phone. And it's a, it's a commonality, right? I'm sure you hear it all the time, grab the phone, scroll. And I'm like, the way the journey starts is when you step out of bed and you really drop in, right? You show like, I meditate right away. Then I go into my prayer gratitude, another day. Dang, blessing. I'm a hero already. God hooked me up again. He loves me. Then I go into what am I going to create today? I like to do that at night, actually. What am I going to create? So I know what my day looks like if I get that chance again. And then throughout the day, it's all impact, service, impact, service. What am I doing? How am I moving a needle? Because we all are under this illusion that tomorrow's coming. I've shifted the mind to tomorrow is a gift and you're lucky you get it. So today gets to be the best day ever. Like if this is what I get to do today, presto, I'm loving it. Thank you. What I hear in that is putting in parameters into your life, building in practices and rituals that support and sustain the vision of what you say you want. There's something beautiful I got from a man on my men's team way back. He said that the best part about men is that you don't even have to ask them. You just have to watch what they're doing because we always do what we want to do. Everything else is just lip service and complaining. Right? We're yeah. always doing what we want to do. So if you're waking up, you're eating junk food, if you're 15 pounds <laughs> overweight, that's what you want. That's what you want because that's what you're, you're making choices that create that, right? I love that because it really simplifies it. And I think it goes back to something we said earlier that men don't often ask themselves that question. They're uncomfortable. When you ask a man, well, what is it that you want? What do you really want? Full permission here, man. No one else has to know. I'm just interested. What is it that you want? What do you want your life to look like? Here's the paintbrush. Paint that picture for me. Tell me what it looks like. And how often guys are confounded by that. If you don't know, if you don't have an answer, if you can't close your eyes and see that vision of what you want, as soon as somebody asks you, eh, maybe you don't know all the details. Maybe it's a vision. It's not, it's going to evolve over time. Sure. But if you don't even know where to begin or you're confused, you're not quite sure, you're not specific on anything, then dude, stop everything else you're doing. Put it on hold. Press pause. Take a look at that for a second because there's no clarity there then what are you doing? I love that because that you just made me remember a huge pivotal point in my life. A mentor of mine asked me a question. He said, Gerald, what would get you out of bed every day, but you don't need a paycheck to do it? As silence from me. I was like, well, because everything was, I ain't doing that if I ain't getting paid. And then I said, what does that mean? And he said, when you find that out, you'll understand passion. Then when you get passion, you'll have purpose. And at the intersection of passion and purpose is your greatness. And I was like, 
damn, that's a heavy, a heavy strapped on me, dude. That's like, I got to figure all that out. And I went on that quest for a while. That didn't happen overnight. That's why I have compassion for people. I'm like, slow it down. It'll come ease up. The answer doesn't happen like that. And I think I found that when I came back from 2019 and did the whole eat, pray, love for dudes. I call it man tears. Went all on that journey. Came back. <laughs> man tears. Eat, I pray, love for dudes. Man tears. Yep. I cried man a lot. Tears. I was like, let it out, Jerry. And I came back <laughs> and I was like, all right, I know what I want to do. And, and then like COVID came and like who I was working for, it went away, but I had the tools this time. So I went back to meditation, gratitude, surrender. That was a huge word for me, surrender. You are not the spiritual casting director of your life. Surrender, let it go. And in that moment, that's how my inception of men's work came. And once I saw the joy in other people from the knowledge I was able to give them, I said, this is it. I said, you don't have to pay me for this. And I was like, I'll stay in this lane. This lane's a nice lane to be in. Yeah. Well, and I think that's an important reminder, man. I really like that you bring that in, that not to be in a rush, not to rush through that process. That's when I first identified that I didn't know what I wanted my life to look like and I didn't know what I was here to do, that became my mission. But the way I approached it initially, and this is back when I was around 25, 26 years old, I wanted to nail that sucker down. Talking about my purpose here. I wanted to nail that down. I wanted to etch it into concrete and then never have to worry about it again. Just clock in, clock out, clock in, clock out, rinse and, rinse and repeat and do that thing for the rest of my life. Because I just wanted to get past that uncomfortable part of the not knowing. Now, I look back on that. Here I am, 33 going on 34. And I'm like, oh, that was such an exciting time. That's an amazing period of life where you just get to be out adventuring, exploring, seeing what lights me up from the inside without any effort, right? The stuff that like you said, you wake up and you would do it without a paycheck. And I remember how much of a burden it felt like when I was that age. So when I encounter guys who are at that stage, whether you're in your mid twenties or in your late thirties, wherever you are with that question, time doesn't matter. The fact that you're in it is like, what an exciting time. Can we flip the script on that and not make it such a burden or even bringing back our buddy shame into that? Like, oh, I'm such a piece of shit. I don't know what I'm here to do. I don't know what my purpose is. Like, come on. Yeah, like you're supposed to know. Yeah, like you're supposed to know, man. Yeah, like at least be engaged with that process and have fun with it. Engage with it, but don't make it out to be some heavy burden that you have to figure out and nail down right now because I don't think you ever really do. Yeah, men are one directional. We want to go A to B. How fast can we get to B? Then we get to B and we're like, cool, now we'll go to C, right? We don't like detours and we want to be the millionaire tomorrow. It's like, I want to be the next millionaire tomorrow. And I'm like, dude, that's a decade. (laughs) (laughs) every rich person you ever read any of their books, they always tell you all of them say, dude, I did this for a decade, decade, the 10,000 hour rule. Right. But in the self-development game, you're right. You know, we want to be, I'm healed. I'm out in the world. I actually, I was speaking to, well, I was in a conference where I was listening to a speaker, Christopher Lee, and he said something that was powerful. He said, when we think we've arrived, that's when we know to do more work. (laughs) And I was like, oh, that's a good one. Sometimes I'll get like that. I'm like, oh, I've read the hundred books and traveled the world and did the deep work and did it. Now I'm leading men. And then I said, whoa, Jerry, slow down, homeboy. You just scratched the surface. You're always a white belt. Black belt mentality, but live life as a white belt. Always learning, always humble, always looking to learn more. So when I remind myself, I say, slow down. It's cool, man. You know, you'll learn something new every day. And for guys that are just getting started, just enjoy it. Enjoy the process. You'll look back 10 years and say, oh my God, I did that. 
2021, that's what I was doing? Oh, Lord, that's what Facebook is good for. When they show you what you did or your posts from like 10 years ago, I'm like, I said that shit? Oh, my God. I hope no one ever sees that again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, man. That's so good. So it, was, it was such a great reminder. There's one more piece I want to touch in on as we're starting to get here close to time. We both come from the East Coast. It's almost like a superpower, right? It's a heavy thing to carry, but if you know how to carry East Coast right. energy, it's a superpower, especially in the West Coast where some people just don't like to work hard. Now, you mentioned this, that thing that E.T. said, right? Everyone wants to be a beast until they got to do what beasts do. Yeah. Now, it got me thinking. Nature is a reference point in a lot of areas of my life. So I study nature. I watch a lot of these nature documentaries. And when they talk about beasts, I mean, the first animal, what's the first animal you think of when you think of beast? I mean, because he says lion tattoo. I thought of the lion. <laughs> All right. Yeah, lion. That's it for me too, right? King of the jungle. So you think of the lion, right? And when you actually watch what lions do, 90% of the time, they're just laying on their ass. Like they're just chilling. They're chilling. And so I think it's a little bit of a misnomer. I understand where it comes from because there's also the fierceness and the power of a lion. Yeah. They're not fierce all the time. It's like the young version of us that once we realize we've got a sharp sword, we want to swing it around everywhere and show everyone we got it. Yeah. ain't a lion. That's not a beast. A beast is calculated. A beast knows what exercise, what they need, when they need, because they also are resourceful. Because to survive out there, you got to know how to utilize your power. So I think it's because I understand like motivating yourself, waking yeah. up, hustling, grinding. But I think that we also are doing a disservice to men if we let that become the dominant voice again. First off, I'm impressed that you literally, that's exactly what I say. I say when you watch Nat Geo, the lion's straight chilling all the time. He does nothing. He's like, honey, go get the food. <laughs> right? Lays down. Cubs are around, smacks them over, get out of here. But when the other lion tries to take over, he's like, activate, let's go. I'm going to own my shit right now. So that is awesome that you said that. There's always like nuggets we learn, right? So, you know, David Goggins, right? Total, like, can you get any tougher than David Goggins, right? And so yeah. many guys will say to me, I want to be like Goggins, right? And I'm like, interesting. Yeah. I say, did you read his book? Yeah, it can't hurt me. I loved it. I said, what does he say at the end of the book? I don't know. I said, if you read what that man wrote at the end of the book, he said, all those years I punished myself when all I had to do was love myself. I could have saved myself all that punishment. And I'm like, bro, the toughest guy in the world just gave you the nugget, man. <laughs> all you had to do was say, David, you're enough. I love you. He didn't have to run on broken ankles. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't doing that. So I don't care. I'm just going to love myself. Heck yeah, man. That's such a good point to leave off on because that it's a multifaceted conversation. If we're only disciplining ourselves into higher and higher performance and waking up earlier and working harder, you know, going farther, then what's missing in that part? Well, we get to bring in a little bit more compassion, a little bit of gentleness. But how do you know when you're being too soft and too easy on yourself? Because when you're holding yourself accountable, you can't really see what's hanging on your back. To be a man, going all the way back to that, means being so multidimensional and multifaceted and multi-aware on so many different planes that I've never met anybody who's aware in that capacity on so many planes. It's a practice. Exactly. You got to be practicing all these things. Otherwise, it's like mixed martial arts, right? If all you've got is a good ground game, someone's going to pop you in the mouth. <laughs> <laughs> like a Conor McGregor, I, I got to admit, one of my favorite guys, get him to the ground, it's over. Over, man. Or just get him past the second half of round two. Guy's got no <laughs> right? tank. I don't know, man. 
Yeah. So anyway, man, it's been great to get to know you through the medium of asking you questions and hearing your perspective on this. I really love it. I always love when I get to talk to East Coast guys because it brings out a different side of me. I live here in California now and I have been for like over eight years. So it like stirs my juices. Before I let you go, man, before you tell us where people can go to check you out, check out what you're doing with your work. I want to ask you a couple of lightning questions. Amazing. All right. Here comes the lightning. What's one thing you learned that you wish you knew when you were 18? Oh, well, I'm enough. What do you think is the most important value to have as a man? Owning your voice. What does the world need most from men right now? Humble leadership. Like that one, man. That's chapter two right there. (laughs) All right. And last but not least, man, tell everybody where they can go to find you. Tell us about what you're doing. Anything else you want to say about who you are and where people can connect with you? Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. You can find me on Instagram at at just Gerald. I also have a company where I help men on a 90 day journey through mind, body, spirit, and service. And that's called mvnmovement.com. We're actually launching a container on the 18th, a few spots left. So I don't know if this makes out in time, but if not, there'll be another one before the year is over. That's really where all the information lies. Beautiful, man. What's the social handle for the MVN movement? So it's at MVN movement. Awesome, man. Well, my man, it's great to connect with you. I really appreciate it communicating and capturing some of your wisdom here. I look forward to circling back and catching up with you further down the road. Thanks so much for the opportunity. It's just an epic moment in my day to get to connect with you, to put the actual face with the voice. And I'm just super grateful right now. So thank you so much. All right, y'all, make sure you swing over to risingman.org while you're there. Check out everything we got going on for the summer and in the coming months, ways for you to get involved and to challenge yourself to step it up in your life as a man. Also, you can get all the links and resources relative to this episode and others by looking at the show notes also at risingman.org. Please subscribe to us if you haven't already and check out our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash the rising man movement. Give us a follow on Instagram, shout us out at rising man movement. Let us know you're listening. Let us know you're waving the rising man banner everywhere you go. Speaking of which, thank you guys, every one of you out there from our rising man community to the leadership team, to the rising man power team, every single one of you guys doing your part to make the rising man movement move. Much love y'all until next time rise up and claim your destiny.